box, knocks. Knocks in box, fox in socks. Fox on socks in socks in box. Socks on knocks in box and knocks, fox in socks in box and knocks. And we'll scroll to the end, my favorite part. Let me find it. Let's have a little talk about Tweedle Beetles. What do you know about Tweedle Beetles? Well, when Tweedle Beetles fight, it's called a Tweedle Beetle battle. When they battle in a puddle, it's a Tweedle Beetle puddle battle. When Tweedle Beetles battle with the paddles in their puddle, they're called a Tweedle Beetle puddle paddle battle. And Beetles battle Beetles in a puddle paddle battle, and the Beetle paddle puddle is a puddle in a puddle in a bottle. They call it a Tweedle Beetle bottle puddle, muddle paddle bottle muddle. And Beetles fight these battles in a puddle with their paddles and the bottles on the noodle and the poodles eating noodles. They call this a muddle puddle, Tweedle poodle, Beetle noodle, bottle puddle battle. And the very last line of that book says, is your tongue numb? <laughs> and be some habo, some be habo, my be tubbit, all be gibbet nubbum. I be doba understand a bit, but every time I be read me dabba book, my be tub and go with nubbum. Nighttime with my kids. We read bedtime stories, we pray with them, we sing with them, we have a lot of fun with them especially reading the stories. The stories of Jesus are not just kids' bedtime stories. Just to entertain us, enlighten us, let your tongue go numb. The stories that Jesus taught in Scripture, His parables, they are rich with meaning, rich with understanding, rich with information about us to help us to know how to relate to him and to God and to the world and how he wants us to relate to one another as well. So starting today for the next several weeks, we're going to be going through several of the parables of Jesus. Not all of them. There's over 40 different parables. And Regina said, really? We're going to be in the parables till next Christmas? I said, no, don't worry. We're just going to pick a smattering of the parables to give you an overview, to give you, hopefully to create within you a hunger to go and discover and to learn about the parables of Jesus themselves. There's also parables in the Old Testament. We're not going to look at those this, during this time. We're going to look specifically at the parables of Jesus. Now, what are the parables? Why did Jesus speak in parables? There's as much hidden there as there is revealed there. And that's the point. They're not just fables like we used to read Aesop's fables growing up. You know the story of the little red hen who made the bread and she harvested the grain and ground the grain and then the flour and she made, the, made the, the bread. And after all she was done, and moms, you may feel like this too, all of a sudden, all the people came in there to eat, right? But you didn't help harvest the grain. You didn't help grind it into flour. You didn't help to make the bread. And now you want to come eat it. And the little redhead says, I'm sorry. You didn't participate. The stories of Jesus are not like that. The story of Jesus have a truth that we are to learn as his children they are given to the seekers, 
those who are searching and pondering after the Word of God. They reveal as much truth as they, as they hide. In fact, Jesus didn't start teaching in parables till toward the end of his ministry. The first three, some three years of his ministry, everything was very open, very, very plain. Then toward the end, he began speaking in parables. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 13 this morning, just as he finishes the parable of the sower, his disciples asked him in verse 10, they said, why do you speak to them in parables? I mean, they were confused as well. For three years, everything been open, everything been plain. Why are you now shifting in your methodology to begin speaking in parables? And he answers them in verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has been given, one who has, more will be given. To the one who has, has an abundance, but for, those who have, for the one who has not, even to what he has, it will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled when it says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. That sounds a little brutal, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, he says, these people I'm teaching now in parables because if they hear, if they see, they might turn and I would heal them. These people were not seeking the truth. They were happy in the truth that they had already lived in their whole lives, and they were no longer seeking somebody to come and change it, to reform their way of thinking. And Jesus says, I'm teaching in parables now because those who are seeking me will find me. Those who have listening ears and are opening their ears to the truth will hear me. Those who are blinded by the, by the darkness, those who desire to open their eyes and find the truth will find me. Those who are happy in their religiosity those who are happy in their lifestyle, those who don't want to be changed, won't be changed. Some of the most horrific verses in Scripture talk about somebody hardening their heart to God. And these are the ones that Jesus was talking about. Those who have hardened their hearts and said, I refuse to listen. I refuse to change. I do not want to become what the Bible says I should become. I'm going to live just the way I am. Period. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who were worried about their power more than they were worried about worshiping the true God. They were worried about their position in society and in their community more than they were worried about how God viewed them. So Jesus says, I'm going to now teach them parables so they do not understand. But to the disciples, he says, you who are seeking, you whose ears are open, you whose, you whose eyes are aware and looking for the truth, you will find it. It is here for you in my word. God never hides himself from somebody who is seeking. We've heard stories, and maybe you've had heard stories too, of missionaries who have gone 
to different tribes in Africa or different places in, in Asia, and they walked into a village and a tribe, and they began teaching the word of God. And the, mission, and, and the tribe says, wait, we know this. We've, we knew all the details. We just didn't know the name of God. They had been seeking the truth. They have been seeking Almighty God. They have been seeking to get free of their sins. And God revealed to them truth about himself because they were seeking. God never seeks to hide himself from the person who is truly seeking. But many of us are like these Pharisees. I grew up in this church. We do, this, we do worship in this box. We only do it this way, period. God says, I'm so much bigger than your box. I'm so much bigger than the four walls of the building. I'm so much bigger than, we talked this morning in Sunday school, we worship and praise God because he is infinite beyond our scope of comprehension. God makes my mind want to explode Think about how awesome and magnificent and magnanimous he is. We love God because of who he is. We praise God because of who he is. We praise God because of what he has done for us. How he's revealed himself to us in scripture. All the things he has done from Genesis to Revelation. He is awesome and worthy of our praise and worship. And to those whose ears are open and eyes are open, it's very clear. The scripture is clear. You can see it as one message from God. Yes, there are 66 books. Yes, there are 40 different authors written over a span of about 4,000 years. But it is one message to to his people and to the world. If we open our ears and open our eyes to see. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us. doesn't matter what church we've been in the past. doesn't matter what your lifestyle has been in the past. He wants to transform you today into his image to make you like him. He, gave the, he began speaking in parables as a form of judgment upon those who refused to listen, but also as a means of mercy. Because if these Pharisees, if those who had refused to listen to him up to this point, sharing with them more understanding and sharing with them more knowledge of who God is, they're going to be now responsible for that knowledge, responsible for what they're hearing. And then in the judgment, they'll be held responsible. So now, as he teaches in parables, they're going, I don't know. What's he talking about? I don't know they are not have to be held responsible for that little bit of knowledge. His mercy is there. Within his judgment, his mercy is there as well. Preserving these people from further judgment. So let's look at a couple of his parables this morning. Very simply, like I said, there's over 40 different parables. We're going to look at just two of them this morning. They're combined right there together. Matthew chapter 9 Verse 12 to 17. We'll read through the passage this morning, then go back and unpack it together. It says, When he heard it, he said, 
Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And the disciples of John came to him saying, why do, we, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, but the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put on old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so that both are preserved. There's four words here this morning that Jesus kind of points out. The first is a physician. He points to himself as a physician. Those he came to heal, not the righteous, but the sinners. He came to heal, to bring healing, spiritual healing to those who recognize their need for a Savior. Those who were self-righteous, those who said, I grew up in this church, I grew up in this synagogue, I am living a good life, I don't need God. I didn't come for them. I came to heal the sinners, those who recognize their need for a Savior. Those who recognize how, to- how horrible they are, they recognize their position before God, and they are the ones on their knees before God every day. So, God, reveal yourself to me. They're like these tribes in Africa I talked about earlier. They're saying, Almighty God, whoever you may be, reveal yourself to me. We want to know you. And God supernaturally reveals himself to them. He brings healing to their life. Those who say, God, I need a Savior. I need a healer. Because, as Paul said, poor wretched man that I am. Secondly, the bridegroom. He came to bring spiritual joy. The Christian life is a feast, not a funeral. We walk around too many times with a downturned face instead of a nice grin on our face, smiling, because we of all people as the children of God ought to be able to walk in joy every single day, regardless of our circumstances. How many times have we told our kids, your circumstances should not determine your happiness. Your circumstances should not determine your joy. We preach that to our kids. I'm sure you taught to your kids and grandkids as well. Your circumstances should not determine your joy. But we do. I'm right there. We all do, don't we? Jesus is the bridegroom. A wedding, we just celebrated our 25th year of marriage. 25 years ago, I saw this beautiful creature walk down the aisle, glowing in white. (laughs) Tears started flowing down my face. Not because I was sad. I was ecstatic because this woman was coming to become my wife, my bride. I was the bridegroom going, Ooh, here she comes, here she comes. I could spend the rest of my life with this girl. Awesome. And at the reception, there was joy, there was happiness everywhere because of the union of this couple. God is our bridegroom. He stands up there waiting for us going, here she comes. Here you come. I can't wait. Come on. 
Because there's joy in the meeting together of Jesus and his followers. There's joy in the Christian walk, the Christian life. There are circumstances, no matter what Satan does, no matter what he tries to get you down, he cannot get you down unless you get your eyes off of who? The bridegroom. When your eyes stay on the bridegroom, you can have joy. When your eyes all of a sudden turn to what's at your feet or what's in the mirror, all of a sudden yeah, you can waver and you can get frustrated. But when you keep your eyes on the bridegroom, there will be joy. Jesus says in verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Jesus came not just to put a patch in our lives, but he came to bring spiritual wholeness to our lives. I've got a pair of jeans at home. I was going to wear them this morning. They were full of holes, but I decided I'd spare you that. They're not good for anything except to be working out in the garden or working outside. and They're stained. They've got holes all over the place. We thought about trying to patch them at one point, but no. It's, it's, it gives me air conditioning when I'm outside. Jesus did not come just to put a patch on your life. He did not come to just say, I'm here just to fix a little part of you. He came to bring wholeness to your life, to change everything about you. I went to Sam's, I bought a new pair of jeans because now I've got a new, the, the old pair I can't wear outside. They're not presentable anymore to be worn in decent, decent circles. Or Gina says, they're not decent to be worn in any circles. <laughs> I had to go to the store and buy a new pair of jeans that were fit. That's what Jesus came to, did to us. He didn't just come to patch the holes of our lives. He didn't just come to patch our mouths or our brains or our ears or whatever area of our lives are needing fixed. He came to bring a new you. A new you where he totally, completely envelops you. The Bible talks about how your sins are removed and his righteousness is given to you so that no longer are you under the penalty and the power of sin. It's a great word called imputation. I love that. His righteousness is imputed to you. It is given to you. It is laid on top of you and you are gone for all intents and purposes when God looks at you. He doesn't, God doesn't see David Etter he sees Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. Please don't mistake my words. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But as a growing child of Christ, every day I wake up and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take away those areas of my lives that are wrong, that are not according to your scripture. Take them and remove them. I don't want them any longer to be part of my life. And God is sewing me up and sewing me up and sewing me up and he's layering himself on top of me so that when I meet him face to face one day, which I can't wait for, it's like, Jesus, come now. He's going to see Jesus. Not just a patch. I'm not like a quilt. I love quilts, but we're not patchwork quilts. We are a brand new suit. Picture the nicest suit you want, you like. The nicest dress you like. That's what he came to put on you. 
We're not just a patchwork. The last word there is wineskin. He came to bring spiritual fullness to us. See, Judaism is that worn out wineskin. The old life that we're trying to live of being righteous by our own means, that's an old wineskin. And so Jesus said, I'm coming. You can't just pour new knowledge into an old wineskin and expect it just to be good. Like that patch that's going to tear and rip open. You pour good new wine into an old wineskin, it's going to bust it wide open. The fermentation is going to continue on. The wine's going to be good. And the old wineskin is going to get brittle and cracked. I know in Colorado, y'all know what it means to have something sit outside and get brittle and cracked. I just replaced a lot of the boards on our playset in our backyard. They were brittle and cracked. Our girls would get on there and swing, and the whole thing was, the whole, not the swing, the playset. 45 degrees this way, 45 degrees this way, 45 degrees this way, 45 degrees that way. We were like, swing slow, sweet chariot. <laughs> swing slow. What do you mean? So I had to go through and replace those boards. Yeah. This wasn't termite problem. It was sun and weather. I talked to our neighbors. They said, yeah, that, that's been there for about 15 years. I don't think anybody's ever treated it or done anything to it. Like, well, it's a good thing that nobody's 45 degrees this way. It didn't go 45 degrees that way. It was scary. Now the girls swing and it goes, it's nice and tight at least for another 15 years. Like that wineskin, if I had left those old boards up there, I'm just going to replace this one and randomly replace this one and randomly replace this one and randomly replace this one. Yeah. It might not be 45 degrees, it may be 25 or 30, but eventually it's going to fall over. Jesus came to bring new Wine with new wineskins for you and I. We can't just pour new knowledge. Say, I'm going to take, live, keep living my old life, but God, I'm going to pour in this new knowledge into my life. I'm going to keep living the same way I was before and expect you to bless me. When Jesus came to radically transform us, he didn't come saying, you can keep living your same old life with your same old speech and your same old thought process. And expect everything to be okay. He says, no, I came to radically transform the way you live. I came to radically transform the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act with your neighbors, the way you act with your family. I came to radically transform you into my image. He's the bridegroom who stands up front going, come on, come on down. You're the next contestant. Come on down. We're going to have a feast together. I've got the wedding feast. The reception is awesome. And you guys are Baptists. You know how to eat. Come on down. He's waiting for you to have a joyful reunion. But he says, when you come, you can't just come with your old life. You have to come and let me radically transform the way you are, the way you live. You can't take Jesus patch him on. You can't take Jesus and pour him into the old wineskin. You have to say, Jesus, here's this. Take this off. Take these pants off. Take this shirt off. Take this off and replace everything about me. Replace David 
and let it come out, Jesus. Seek a daily filling from the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is talking about. If we're going to be full with him. He didn't come just to mix law and grace. He came to give us new life. Romans 6.1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means! How can we who have died to sin live any longer therein? Are we who are dead to sin continue to... Are we who... Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? Can we continue to live that way? Paul says, no. What are you thinking? Jesus is not a patch. He came to bring us a completely new wineskin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. It doesn't mean there's a set of rules and regulations I have to follow and make God happy with me. It says all of this is from God. God comes in and radically transforms us. God comes in and radically changes us. God comes in and gives us new clothes. God comes in and makes us new wineskin. It's nothing that I have done. It's all Jesus. We sang this morning, Jesus, only Jesus. Not David, only David, or Drew, only Drew, or Jeff, only Jeff. That is not what makes us different. That is not what changes us. Jesus, only Jesus, radically transforms us. Jesus, only Jesus, gives us the strength and the power to overcome the sin in our lives. Jesus, only Jesus, can make us a new creation to make us like himself. There can't be a mingling of the standards of the world and the standards of God. What happens when you put a new patch on old clothes? Rip! What happens when you put new wine in an old wineskin? It explodes. You can't mingle the two is what Jesus is saying. It's going to make us weird. It is. Because the world does not understand us. It's going to make us weird to our neighbors. It's going to make you weird to your family. It's going to make you weird at work. It's going to make you weird maybe to your spouse if you make a decision and they're not on board yet. It's going to make us weird. When you say, God, take this old wineskin and throw it away. Take this old pair of jeans and throw them away and replace all that I am with all that you are. It's going to make us weird. But who are we more worried about offending? Eternal God or our neighbor next door? Eternal God or that family member who totally doesn't get it? Eternal, almighty God creator of the universe or someone else in the cubicle next, next to you? Who are we more worried about offending? Has Christ made a difference in the way you behave in this world? That's the question this morning. This is the question being asked this morning. I want to read you a story from a pastor friend of mine. 
is now driving for Uber down in Florida. This came across in the email list I'm on this week. Kind of exemplifies a little bit about the new life. He's been sharing his Uber stories. And I talked a little bit about my Starbucks ministry, and I go over here and I hang out and I get to talk to people. He has an awesome Uber ministry. It's great. Some of the, the clients he gets that have ride with him, God has given him an opportunity to minister and to share with these people. He sees for 20, 30, 40 minutes sometimes. In this case, it was four minutes. He says, the snowbirds are gone. Spring break is over. The streets are bare. What once took 25 minutes to drive can now be covered in a matter of two songs on a satellite classic vinyl. Yesterday I got halfway through the week, but I was only 20% to my weekly goal. It was like fishing. Some days you control the most productive areas of the lake and catch your limit in a couple hours. Then there are those days when the birds aren't flying nor the squirrels are playing. Yesterday the birds and squirrels weren't anywhere to be found. I texted my wife and told her I was headed to the Tampa airport. I could sit there and not waste gas, and as I arrived, I was number 88 in line for the next ride. After one and a half hours, I got the ping. As I headed to the arrival at the red section, I hoped it would be a $30 toll. I picked him up under the southwest sign and swiped the app and began the ride. Stink. It was a five-minute ride. Maximum $5. Holy smokes came out my mouth as we rounded the terminal and saw the storm clouds just ahead. I dropped my rider at the hotel and tried to close out the ride. The Uber app froze. I couldn't end the ride. I did all I could and nothing. Finally, I turned off my phone. And that should close all of the open apps. I left the phone off and in rebellion for the poor performance of the day, I headed home and then to the beach where I was meeting with some college friends. Turning my phone back on, I quickly realized that the app had still been charging my $4 rider. I quickly called Dan, explained the situation. I assured him that it would be corrected, and he thanked me. I notified Uber of the situation, and they texted me back saying that it would be taken care of. Less than the time it had taken to drive the two songs, I received a text from headquarters. My payment had been changed from $20 to $4. Stink. A stinky day just got worse. I was ticked. Just as life in general in an Uber lane, and just as quickly another text came through thanking me for my honesty, assuring me of Uber's appreciation for a person like me working for them. Several things came to mind. First, I wonder how many times I go through life thinking I've turned the app off in anger, judgment, pity party, and yet it's still running in the background. Second, I was momentarily tempted just to let it go because God had blessed my pocketbook. Okay at the expense of somebody else, but hey, it was still a blessing. Third, the temptation was quickly overpowered by the fact that I am in the clothes Jesus was wearing. I am the clothes Jesus was wearing to that $4 guy from the red corridor of the Tampa airport. Thank you, God, for reminding me that I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. I will glorify him with my body. It's not the big things in this world. 
It's not the big things. You, I mean, we might walk around saying, yeah, I don't, I don't walk in big sins. I don't have big issues in my life. Sometimes it's the small things in life that get us to get attention. And to be reminded that we are walking in the clothes of Jesus. I'm not walking in the clothes of David. I'm walking in the presence and the power of Jesus in my life. Because he didn't come just to patch me up. He didn't come just to give me a a glass of Chardonnay to add to the mix. He came to radically transform me and to give me a new set of clothes. And this morning my question to you is, Have you been radically transformed? Are you walking in the new clothes of Jesus? Are you walking like that patchwork quilt? Trying to fix you. Trying to live life with just a little bit of fixing here and there. But not allowing God to come in and radically change who you are. If you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute as Drew comes up. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and saying, you know, I've been going to church my whole life and I've been playing a game. I've been trying to get fixed. I've been trying to patch this and patch that and just trying to be a good person and let my righteous deeds outweigh my unrighteous deeds. But I'm tired of playing the game. This morning I want to commit myself to God and say, God, I want to be radically transformed by your love, and by you. This morning you would admit to yourself, God, I've been trying to let you patch me up my whole life. And I'm tired of just putting on patches. I need a new Jesus. I need a new me. And in fact, I want to pray for you this morning. If you slip up your hands, Pastor, I'm tired of just patching the problems. I want to be put on all new Jesus. Thank you, I see you. Anybody else? I'm tired of patching myself up. I need a new you. I want to recommit my life to you this morning. I'm tired of just patching everything up. Any other hands across the room? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. God, I'm tired of just patching areas of my life. I need a complete restoration. And maybe this morning you're sitting here going, Pastor, I, I, I've never even put on the first patch. <laughs> I, I, need, I need Jesus to come by and completely transform the way I'm thinking because I'm like those Pharisees trying to live my life. I'm, I don't want to change at all, but I need Jesus to come in and radically transform me. I need to become his child this morning. And if that's you, if you are seeking a brand new life this morning, become that new creation we, we talked about. I want to pray for you and lead you in a prayer as well. Would you raise your hand this morning if I can pray for you? You can begin a new life today. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who raised their hands this morning, who said, I am tired I'm just trying to patch Jesus over my problems. 
I'm tired of just trying to drink a quick sip of Jesus and go about my day. I'm trying to get my Jesus points for coming to church and going to Bible study and expecting you to fix all my problems when I'm not willing to do what it takes. Father God, I pray for those this morning, for all of us, that we would see you as more just our seamstress, more than our fixer-upper man. But that we would see you as Almighty God wanting to come and radically change us into your image this morning. Our bridegroom waiting for us at the end of the aisle, inviting us to come down into his presence. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation, for your gift to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.